Welcome to What's Left, a weekly polit- political discussion challenging the mainstream left. We are online at what-s-left.webnode.com. You can find the link to our blog in the episode notes. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and jot down our information wherever you find this episode um, in case censors decide to deplatform us. Oh, okay. Uh, my name is Andy Lipson. I'm a teacher in Oakland and a socialist. Um, and again, we're joined by socialist and community organizer Kenny Zapeta and Jessica, who teaches English literature uh, writing and environmental humanities at the university level in Pacific Northwest. And you will see uh, that Eduardo is still not with us. I think he's going to be back in February. I'm hoping. Um, and Jake is taking a little mini sabbatical from what's left because he's got a a lot of things to attend to. So it's just the three of us today. So welcome, both of you. Hi, thanks. Um, so today we were thinking of discussing, in fact, I called or I texted you both about talking about what's going on in Ukraine. Um, and for for those of you who are like, oh, great, people on What's Left are going to talk about Ukraine. I'm going to figure out what's going on. That might happen, but I don't think any of us are really experts on Russia, on the United States and Ukraine and stuff like that. I think we know a little bit about some things. Um, but this issue came out, out of left field for me because I've been thinking so much about mandates and vaccine stuff and things like that, that I kind of wanted to discuss this with uh, the, the both of you. And I think this is what people can and should do is just talk about politics and what, what do they think is going on. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about something we haven't been talking about and see what we what we think. So I guess what I'll do is I'll start with what I think I know about what's happening right now. And then maybe Jessica, you can add in some stuff. And then uh, Kenny, maybe you can add in some stuff. And then and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Um, so as I understand it, uh, Russian troops are massing on the eastern border of Ukraine near the Crimea and Donbass or I don't know if they're in those regions or near those regions. Um, and they we're being told that they are threatening to come into, or that these, this, these troop movements are threatening to come into, uh, into the Ukraine. Um, and the U.S., in relationship to that, has released 8,000 troops to be, be sent into Europe. There's now uh, air flights of getting missiles and things like that into the Ukraine. Um, uh, and uh, they can't go over Germany because Germany is not agreeing to it and things like that. But that's one thing I know. And um, and there's been a lot of discussion of war drums beating. And the president was seen as very weak when he kind of suggested our the U.S. president um, when he suggested, well, if there was a minor incursion, we would we would uh, we would be fine with that. But anything major, you know, and of course, the media and, you know. Basically, the establishment lost its mind and said, no, there's nothing that can be, if Russia lays an inch of fingers on Ukraine, we're willing to do whatever it takes to to make them pay a a price of some sort, threatening war even, right? And so people are saying, oh, this is very dangerous, World War III, blah, blah, blah. Um, I guess I'll say that's my opening bid for some of the things that I know about the present moment, Um, as well as I'll just say Russia has a concern or expressed concern over the Ukraine being allowed to join NATO. So I'll start with that's the present, some present knowledge that I have. And Jessica, I don't know if you want to 
either add or share anything or say anything different you might know about this current moment. Okay. Uh, Well, first of all, I do believe, Andy, that you predicted World War III is coming several episodes ago. So also something more about that. I mean, is this it? I don't know. I'm going to say definitely not, but I'll tell you why. We'll get to that. We're going to get to that. Yeah. Uh, No, I think, I think you gave a good kind of brief assessment. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm certainly, I wish I had had a bit more time or have a bit more time to dig more deeply into this. Cause like you said, it's not, it's not a region of the world that I'm super knowledgeable about, but I do know, I mean, just to kind of back up from the present moment a little bit, you know, there was a U.S. backed coup essentially back in 2014. And I think since then, you know, the U.S. has been steadily increasing presence in the, in the region, uh, kind of funneling weapons, funneling money, like a lot of money, billions of dollars into the region. Um, and so I think, you know, it, yeah, for a lot of us, it feels a bit out of the blue, you know, if you're not paying close attention, which I I haven't been. So I, in some sense share that, but I think, you know, it's not like, obviously our presence there has been kind of long standing. I also, I don't know if, if um, maybe a little bit later in the episode, we can get into, there was a Yahoo news report that uh, came out just in the past uh, week or so, I think, um, which is pretty, uh, has some pretty interesting revelations in terms of uh, the CIA's actions there in terms of training uh like U.S. backed Ukrainian paramilitary, basically, uh, for for years since since 2015, since the coup, um, you know, with pretty much the overt purpose of of killing Russians, as they say. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how. That, maybe maybe I'll just leave it there, and Kenny can jump in. What about you, Kenny? Anything you want to add? And we will, I, we, we will go a little bit into the past as well. Yeah. And then we'll talk about what, what do we think the heck's going on right now? I mean, um, again, at least from the skimming through the headlines, right? Like, uh, uh, just like you two said, you know, it, well, at least the, 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 the sense I get is that uh, the Russians are overreaching. You know, they have 100,000 troops that has been name you know like uh highlighted in a lot of the media that i read uh so this disproportionate amount of people right at the border uh and there is no rationality offered right other than like russian overreach and you know crimea is brought into the you know um, the equation and before this even happened actually uh the there was uh reported uh russian presence in kazakhstan too uh, you know, uh, military forces uh, helping the Kazakhstan, uh, you know, quote unquote dictator um, repress dissent in, in, you know, without really giving a lot of context as to what what is the dissent about, if there is such a thing. And so um, that's the only thing I wanted to add, but like personally, you know, like anytime I see um, all the media outlets narrating the same thing, I, I start to question, you know, like, what is the story behind this? What's really behind it? And so, you know, I, I guess I took a second to try to make sense of this. 
um, because like I'm not defending Russia, you know, I'm not uh, defending uh, NATO, you know, and uh, because like NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and I think we'll get into that probably because that includes other countries that uh, are also taking action. It's not just the U.S. It's European countries moving, you know, strategically, at least making moves in the area. Uh, and we'll probably discuss the reasons, but I know that that's happened also, you know, at least it's been reported through media that, you know, the Western uh, allies, you know, NATO uh, have moved, have uh, strategically placed themselves, uh, except Germany. Germany has shown hesitation in the process. Um, and this is also because we've discussed it, right, in the past in another in other episodes that, you know, there was a de-escalation, quote unquote, uh, of war in Afghanistan. You know, and like maybe is there a relation to this? That you know, that's something that came up to my mind. But uh, you know, I, I I don't even know what to believe. You know, that's that's the lesson I've had from COVID. You know, like, and I think at this point, um, that just fully. Um, you know, a solid thought that I have when, you know, these, the media's, media outlets are just bombarding me with the same story, I think of propaganda, you know, and so I wonder what the, what the goal is, what's really happening, how do we know there is 100,000 troops at the border, and what are they responding to, what are each, you know, who's really the aggressor here, so there, those are kind of the, the questions that I get. Can I say one more thing I meant to say? Yeah. Uh, just in terms of like laying the groundwork for this discussion, my understanding is that Russia has said publicly we have no intention to invade Ukraine, and I believe Ukraine has also confirmed that that's also their understanding. Uh, which obviously that raises flags about you know how much of this is just U.S. propaganda, U.S. manipulated narratives. Yeah. I mean, so first off, the, the, the establishment press has definitely been Russia is the aggressor. U.S. is defending the, the, the territorial rights of, of the Ukraine. And, you know, I, I don't, Anthony Blinken wrote, said this. Um, he said, we've made very clear that one country trying to tell another one, one country trying to tell another what its choices should be, including with whom it associates. That's not an acceptable proposition. Changing the borders of another country by force, that's not an acceptable proposition because what it does is it undermines the entire international system. This is from the you know, head, what is he, Secretary of State of the United States, which has been doing using sanctions all across the globe and using war to, to reshape borders for the last 20 years for sure. I mean, it's been doing it for longer than that. Um, the level of hypocrisy about that part is 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 rich, um, but the establishment accepts that, and it does. Like people like Tucker Carlson or Glenn Greenwald or people who have ab opposed the U.S. intervention or opposed the idea of U.S. war, if Russia should step into the Ukraine, um, are being called Putin apologists. Are being called, you know. Uh, you know, it's sort of the same thing as during Russiagate, when if you didn't, if you weren't opposed to Trump, then you must be for Putin. Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, and so we really, it, it, the, and that's it. That's within the establishment. That's in the Democratic Party. It, it, it has really been fully taken over by uh, 
neocon kind of uh, war war footing rationale. Um, that if if you're not willing to brook the idea of U.S. going to war to defend its interests, then you must be you're 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 against this country and you're for Russia. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I would say is um, since the fall of the Soviet Union, um, the U.S. NATO is a is an arm. I I believe NATO is an arm of U.S. empire by and large. It has been used that way. And U.S. entry into NATO was yes to to keep um, to keep Russia at bay, but it was also they also said they would say keep Germany down, like to basically make sure that the U.S. was going to be the preeminent power in Western Europe and use that power and its control of Western Europe as a as an as a power source against what was the other problematic empire, which was at that time they weren't worried about China; it was all Soviet Union. So once the Soviet Union fell, there was a whole string of countries that started to be gobbled up by NATO. And then once U.S. went into Afghanistan, there was a whole new set of countries that were gobbled up and bases were established. And, the, and, the, and Russia has been increasingly encircled by either NATO or U.S. bases in the last, and it's seen itself in the last 20 years and has felt threatened by that. And I do believe that they've essentially said uh, you cannot that NATO must agree not to be not to include Ukraine into its alliance. And the US is saying, you can't tell NATO what to do. Anybody is free to join it, what, what have you. So that's the kind of discussion that's happening here. As and I do believe troops are massing, because I'm not again, I've at this point, I don't think war beat drums are being beaten, but something's going on here. Um, at least from the vantage point of US. And I do think from the vantage point of Russia, I don't know what's happening actually from the vantage point of Russia, but I'll just say, I do believe the troops are massing, but it, it, I will say it feels like a move. It doesn't feel like war. It feels like a political venture to do something else. Um, so I'm kind of tipping my hand as to what I kind of think is going on, but that's just my sense. And I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Let's see if there's anything else. I think when we are talking about like, troops amassing at the border it's also just important to be like really clear that we're talking about like Russia's border like they have every right to have their own troops within their own country at their own border especially given you know increasing uh presence and increasing threats um yeah every country (laughs) has a right right to amass all the troops that they want within their own borders yeah, that's uh, an important point because uh, when you look at the map, you know people can go on their own and look at the NATO map, right? Uh, it will in the it will NATO member countries map. It, it will show right like there's only a couple of countries that are at this point uh, a buffer between Russia and NATO allies, right? Um, and uh, when you become part of NATO, uh, you uh, commit to like military action. That's one of their major roles right like is to protect they say you can go through their own website you know and to protect their own east interests it's a political and military alliance uh according to their own stuff and um you know that's how nato came into libya right uh into free libyans and there's been other actions but again um in uh, in and i know that you know after the soviet union collapse that there was an agreement right between like that the european powers in the u.s would not make a move east, 
you know, like trying to enclose Russia. And so this is what's actually happened. And so geopolitically and like, um, you know, just logically, you know, uh, we've talked about like the irrational country, you know, narrative, right? Like North Korea, why would North Korea react that way? Why would Cuba act that way? Why would Venezuela act that way? Why would Iran act that way? But like, if you're being surrounded and attacked, you know, like, is it irrational to have a response, a preemptive response? You know, and, and um, you know, and so that brings up the question of who's the aggressor here, right? And and so Russia feels encircled, you know, and, and the borders are, uh, the NATO allied borders are moving closer to their literal borders. And so why would they not increase, you know, uh, military presence when they feel threatened, you know, and, uh, but again, we are being told that they're just this aggressive, irrational, you know, uh, evil empire, right? And that is trying to redefine borders, which is ironic, right? And, and, and also exert a sphere of influence, which is ironic because we literally, this is the country that does that the most effectively, you know, the US. And that uh, you brought up that point about NATO, Lipson. Um, and so I, I, in looking and researching about this, I, 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 I ran into these uh, numbers, right, of NATO's uh, financial contributions commitments that, you know, every country is supposed to commit like 2% of their GDP. Uh, and, uh, but the average is about 1.5%. And the U.S. itself contributes 3.3%, U.S. being the biggest economy in the world. So the U.S. is disproportionately the biggest contributor to NATO financing. You know, and uh, yes, they talk about politics, but it's, 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 it's an extension of the U.S. military force. The U.S. is a big hegemon in that, you know, relationship with, uh, you know, European countries. And so they have a big sway in, in what happens with NATO and, you know, where NATO goes to war. And I, just bringing it back to Afghanistan, you know, like we forget like it wasn't just the U.S., you know, going into Afghanistan. You know, it was a lot of NATO countries, you know, we're talking about France, right? We're talking about Italy. We're talking about Great Britain, you know, we're talking about, uh, I don't even know if Canada is part of it, but I know Canada had presence there. So a lot of other countries were present in Afghanistan and they also had to pull back because if the big bully is not, you know, on your side and you know, if they stay there, they're going to get it in a way too. And so a lot of these countries also had to pull back. And so I just find it interesting that now like NATO is from my vantage point, it's on this another front, another aggressive, you know, and another uh, strategic uh, move collectively. Um, yeah, I mean, let me say th some things that I think are still true, which is I still believe that the, the, the world globally can be described as being run under capitalism. And for that reason, I still believe imperialism is something that describes the way these countries compete and that there's a competitive relationship between countries like United States and Russia and China and even Germany and the United States. And at this point, Britain might be lining itself with the United States in competition with Russia and China. So that is still the world that I think is, it, is being described uh, or that described that, that, their, that competition drives the world. Um, and that competition, I do believe, leads to war and will lead to bigger wars. Um, I think that's the case. Um, but, well, what I should say, but, but I would say that this particular moment, it's interesting to me because I'm, 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 I'm not sure what I see is, is the drumbeat for war that is being talked about. Rather, I think 
I feel like there's a shell game being played here, like a political change, change the discussion. Um, because I, I did find out that back in April, 2021, there had been a, a, an amassing of troops by the year. The European union had said about 150,000 and it was supposedly an overestimation. Russian troops were amassing on that very same border back in April, 2021. And I guess they pulled back, you know, and then now they're pulling back up again. At least that's what we're, they were being told. Um, and now might Putin have a reason for doing that? Maybe. Yeah, sure. Um, but I, I do feel somehow that what's happening right now and the U S is the U S is still preparing. It's preparing us and itself for the fact that its major enemy is not the war on terror. It's not ISIS. Its major enemy is China and Russia. And it's preparing the public for that. And this little conflict or this, you could even say major conflict establishes that narrative. But I, I, if I was to describe what, what I feel like is going on, it's like um, when people are tasting wine over and over again and they need, they have to drink water or something like that to, they have to, the cleanse their palate so they can taste another thing. I feel like politically we're being, we're having our palate cleansed of all this stuff that's happened around COVID and Omicron and all that kind of stuff. And the subject is just being changed rapidly, like right in front of us. Um, and I don't know if it's because that narrative was getting like, because there were problems with it. And so they've just kind of changed the subject and made it and essentially created a kind of crisis that doesn't even need, it's almost a manufactured crisis at this moment. And again, like Jessica is saying, I'm a person who's saying World War III is coming. I do believe it is. I just don't believe that this, ev this event feels more manufactured than something. And I do think this is the future. I do think these sorts of conflicts are the future. And this, this does give a, a, a vision of what might be future conflicts, but it doesn't feel real right now. It feels very manufactured. It feels like they're, they're just trying to create a drama in front of us to change the subject so that they can reintroduce us to something else. What is the month right now? January, in March or April, to, uh, to a new political season of ideas uh, that, we, that we have to get ourselves acclimated to. Maybe a new variant or what, what have you. Um, that's kind of what I think is going on, if you ask me. Uh, I have some thoughts on that. I, I partially agree. But I just, can I just ask, this is a genuine question, because in my limited uh, research, I have not come across any real answer to this question. Why is there any real reason why Russia would want to uh, invade Ukraine? Like, what's the what's the alleged reason that they would want to do that? But the reason they would do it is you. It's it's poor, sort of like it's like the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, can you really have a foreign power be so implanted there that it has the right to put like? surface-to-air missiles that will shoot down hypersonic missiles and blah, blah, blah. And that was the reason that John F. Kennedy basically said, we're going to invade Cuba unless you pull that, pull that stuff out of there. And so essentially, this is right on the border. If, if they became a NATO, a NATO, and if they became part of NATO, then there becomes right. um, treaties or agreements that you can place defense weapons on there that, of course, would really not be that well they would be defense but they would be used as a way of putting russia in even a deeper hole militarily if it was going to try to act against the united states in some way shape or form 
So that would be the reason it's, it's, it's a, it's a national security in the, in under the, under the understanding that these are two competitive powers and you have essentially, it's like a Warsaw country back in the day of USSR, a Warsaw country being right there at Mexico, you know, and, and having, you know, Warsaw pack, you remember that group, that alliance of the USSR and having those, that country be armed by your enemy right next to you. One of the ways, at least that I see, that you can handicap a country is to have them perpetually paranoid, you know, because they would have to invest a lot of their resources into military action. You know, that's what they did in Nicaragua, that's what they did in, in Cuba to an extent, or Korea, because if you are so much up the, up the border, you know, and like they're constantly having to wonder if you if someone will come or you know or there will be an attack at some point. I think that at least from my perspective, it's like also like a chess game. You're thinking moves ahead. You know, because if they do take over Ukraine and you have to deal with that immediate threat constantly. And so I think at least on the surface, that's like the immediate, you know, rationale for me that I, that I see. But I also think about like, why would the U.S. and, and, and European nations want to push, you know, right now? You know, and like, so then it, it does raise questions and as to the narrative. We've obviously been, even us on the show, look at our you know, like what we've been talking about, we've been so hyper-focused on the vaccine stuff and forgetting about what's going on outside the world because we used to do this stuff. You know, we used to talk about what's going outside these boundaries, but so, and we are herded through the, the, the mainstream narrative. And so why, why the sudden change? You know, why this sudden hyper-focus there? So you do have to have those questions and, and you know, Lipson brings an interesting perspective. You know, I, I do wonder also if it's about China too you know, by putting Russian checkmate, because when we talk about Russia and China, I don't think one or the other, I think it's both. You know, if the U.S. is to take on China, it has to take on Russia too. Uh, you know, in like having Russia or like sort of checkmate or, you know, this like constant paranoid state again, it's important. And so, because it's not, it doesn't necessarily require an aggressive move from, you know, the Americans or the European and the Western powers as much as it requires an aggressive defense move, you know, from the other side. And then in that is, it's very convenient to, you know, look, you see, we told you they're the evil ones. We're just doing our job, you know, even though it's rational for, you know, Russia to defend this buffer, you know, uh, between them and the rest of NATO allies, um, you know, because yes, you don't want to have those weapons constantly being pointed at you, you know, and like Lipson said, they are called defense, but they're not. You know, they're a threat. They're a promise of a threat. Yeah. And the same thing is when you, if you look at South Korea, that's how South, South Korea is set up. It's basically lined with defense, anti-missile anti, anti defense weaponry that is used to keep, to keep China hemmed in. And, and Trump's bid in North Korea at one point was to try to like make a friend of them to see if they could move again, move another country into their hemisphere it didn't work but that's the that that is the game is how do you get close to your enemy and put in defense weapons right there and and i do think that the the people the paramilitaries that were that were trained there and things like that that is part of saying that if russia does come in it's going to pay a high crop high cost into it in terms of losses of its own military through soldiers that have been trained by u.s special forces to fight 
uh, as, you know, essentially to fight, to be a resistance force. Um, and they will essentially do in Ukraine to, to Russia what they did in Afghanistan to the USSR, which is bleed them dry by supporting a resistance. So that, and that is the, that is the reason why some people would say that Russia won't ever dare to do this because they would be, there are parts of the regions that they're, that they're not as unpopular, but if they go too far, like, what is it? Kiev? Is that what Kiev? Um, Too far that it, that they will face uh, an actual resistance and it will be one that will be, it's a, it's a local resistance, but also one that will be funded by the U S and, and that would, come at a big cost to Russia. Um, I'll just say this, the interesting thing, when you listen to people like Tucker Carlson, who is opposed to this kind of thing, the reason he opposes it is because he feels what he's, what is, what this kind of move is doing is pushing Russia into the arms of China. And that he's saying, why don't we stay staying focused on our major threat, major enemy, China, and forget all this Russia stuff. Russia is not even a big player for, for the U.S. in terms of its future. So that's the mistake he's saying that is being made. It's a, he's saying that this is a this bid is is essentially putting the U.S. into fighting potentially two major powers simultaneously, um, and that's his reason. Now that is does not seem to be the majority sentiment, um, and certainly the Biden doctrine is really based on refashioning NATO together, rebuilding the coalition of NATO and the United States to to represent the free world, take on China, take on the authoritarian powers of Russia and China. Um, and one part of me also could say that maybe by, I mean, uh, Putin did this because he sees that NATO is not united and he sees that this could actually fracture or have the ability to fracture the alliance and weaken the U.S. internationally. So that, this is the kind of stuff that I just don't know, but it, it, it makes your head spin for me, at least to start to think of all the different things that could be going on. Um, all I can say is this came on suddenly. It's been done before, and it seems like something that came out of nowhere and, and has a purpose to it for becoming such a big deal and everything else being wiped off the, off the table. I mean, what I do wonder is like how much, um, you know, how much control do they really have of the situation? You know, like, could it get out of hand, you know, in some way and like forge each, each other's hands, you know, want to do something? Um, you know, uh, I don't know, just like wonder about that because we talk about, the, you know, this third world war and like we don't, we don't know like exactly the, the scenario that it might unfold, but, you know, it's at least from my understanding, like it would be like a, a chain of events. It's not one incident, but it's a chain of events that result in, in things getting out of hand, you know, because like at least the metaphor you've used in the past lips and is that, you know, that no one's really driving the bus. You know, and, and so it makes me wonder, you know, like these situations and, um, you know, like uh, if they can lead to uh, events down the road, you know, because like such fragmentations of alliances or uh, new strategies being drawn. Um, and so that's I guess I guess that's where I have my eye on. Like I, I don't I, like you. I don't know if it will devolve into some sort of conflict immediately. But maybe down the line, because like there is a chess move and there are parts to it. It's not just one side, you know, making a move. And I mean, these are nuclear powers that we're talking about. And I mean, for that reason alone, like every single 
every single person on the planet, honestly, should be a hundred percent for de-escalation. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure how sort of secure I, I feel saying that like, Oh, it's not going to escalate into something even larger because I think, you know, I mean, interventionism, it, it always ends really well for defense contractors and arms manufacturers, right? And people who have stocks in in those entities, right? Um, I mean, I'm sure they're already making bank, right? Just just from the what are they calling it? Lethal aid that they're funneling in, that Biden funneling in, like I forgot how much, two hundred million dollars or something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean, what is that? What the fuck is that even like? Legal aid. It's like straight double speak. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Nancy Pelosi uh, passed or tried to put forward a bill around, you know, bo- no violation of countries' borders bill or something like that. It was the inviability of countries' borders bill. Like, there's just a lot of theater, I would just say. That's one thing. The second thing, honestly, again, these are some of the things that the way I add things up. China has its the Winter Olympics coming up soon. Yeah. And I don't think if if Russia had an intention of doing something with, in relationship to the United States, I know they would have consulted China. You know, and there's no way I don't believe that they're going to do a move like this and have a an actual intervention taking place and would have gotten the agreement from China. Oh yeah. Let's go ahead and do that and do that while we're having our Olympics. Um, I mean, I don't know. These are the kinds of things I think about. And, uh, and, and then if, so if they, I don't think anything can happen until like the, about the middle of February, which I think was when those Olympics end. And I I don't think things are just going to sit around like that. And then suddenly they're going to pop off. So for me, this just feels like, look, like I said, I still believe war is inevitable between these big powers, but this particular conflict right now, I don't, I don't, I don't think it, it's, it has more theater to it than, than some of the other things that I think are going on. Yeah, it makes me wonder, you know, what, um, it's like if you look around, at least my sense is that, um, like, in what other interests does Russia have? <laughs> like, you know, like you said, um, in by and large, they're not a big player, you know, in the world. They do have a military, they do have a nuclear capacity, you know, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't see why they would, you know, go on the offensive other than, you know, that one argument that we were making. You know, which is at least in my view a responsive, you know, a reactive, you know, um, strategy. It's not so much of like going on the offensive. We're getting imperial, you know, like the whole imperial way, you know, like a going, getting territory, getting new markets, getting new resources. Um, you know, and I don't consider Russia a big player by itself. You know, in 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 alliance with like China. You know, and and again, I agree. There's not like a solid alliance. You know, these things can break off. You know, because ultimately, all these powers are in competition. But that's why I think of China and Russia together. 
you know, not just geographically, but like financially, you know, oil and these things that are exchanged. Because even when you look at Ukraine, that's another like angle that to this that, you know, I was looking at the biggest trading partners to uh, Ukraine and is Russia, China, you know, are the big, big ones and you have Germany and then you have the U.S. The U.S. is not even a big player there. So like, what does that mean? You know, does that mean the U.S. want more markets? I don't know. But, but you know, like, um, you know, that's like another uh, just angle that, you know, that, that, I, that I looked at is like, what are the economic incentives behind this? Not just like political theater and strategy, political strategy, but just like direct financial gains that the U.S. could, could, could give. Not, the US, not just the U.S., because it's also the European powers you know, uh, behind this, um, what, what could they gain from this? Uh, because like, again, Russia is not really making threats to, to come into Western Europe, you know, like they haven't, uh, if anything, they, they seem to be on their, on their heels trying to like hold off some shit because NATO has been very successful to, you know, in encroaching closer and closer to Russia, Russia. And you could argue that there's really not even need to, defend Ukraine, if NATO wanted to go to war, they they, they, they have the, the proximity to attack Russia. So um, again, it's a, I'm just looking at other angles, like economic, you know, um, angles that might incentivize maybe some even European countries whose aggression might also benefit, you know, the US, because you do want to keep a potential ally of China on their heels. And, that, you know, that's kind of what that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I mean, at the risk of sounding like a Putin apologist, given the past few years, I mean, that man has the patience of a saint and the restraint of a saint, honestly. Um, I, With regard to the, the whole China thing, I mean, yeah, like if it was China instead of Russia, right, like Tucker Carlson and Fox News would be singing the opposite tune. Uh, so there's kind of a replication, I think, in terms of a lot of public opinion for people who are not, you know, really looking into it and don't don't really look at the history of U.S. interventionism. I mean, for the past six years, right, it's been for Democrats, Russia, boogeyman, evil, bad guy. And then for Republicans, increasingly, it's been China, bad guy, I think really like you're both exactly right. I think the U.S. would be really, really fearful and threatened by the prospect of a of a China Russia alliance. In part because I do think we're an empire in decline. I mean, I think one one sort of contributing factor I see for this is just kind of like a flailing. Uh, a flailing empire starting to crumble and this is like this is all we know how to do you know it's like the American monkey knows three tricks like lie cheat steal and invade other countries right like no matter what what the human cost or the ecological cost um and the economy is in the tank people are poor I'm talking about in the U.S. Uh, people are poor. People are angry, desperate. Uh, the approvals for virtually every politician are horrendous. Elections are, I mean, it's the U.S. Elections are literally always on the horizon, right? So it's like 
why not, you know, go to war or why not at least throw the, you know, throw the and the threat of war around um, because patriotism and democracy, right? Like any, any, any rhetoric uh, that can help the ruling class to maintain their position of power, they're going to do like, this is how many times have they freaking done this? Like, and I, and I think, I mean, Afghanistan to go back to that um, from a little bit, a few minutes ago, I think that's an embarrassment for NATO and, and for the U S the way that we left. And I think they know that, <laughs> you know, Russia, Russia knows that China knows that it, 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 yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't really have the grip over, over the world that we think we do or that we like to sort of, um, purport that we do. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I do agree that the U S is in decline as an empire. I think there were some who thought that that thing in Afghanistan was actually kind of engineered by the United States. And that was, well, I mean, I agree with that, but well, still that wasn't, yeah, I honestly, that wasn't my take. I, I did. I thought that was a, that made the U S look really bad. And I like to the extent that they, I do think they were trying to get out because they had to remarshal themselves and essentially establish themselves for their the real fight, which is the kind of thing we're seeing right now, which is an opponent like um, China, an opponent like Russia. Um, I read what's called the interim. So in, I've, I've cited this before under Trump, there was the 2018 national defense strategy, which basically said the war on terror is, is the past. Now it's war on the big powers, China and Russia. And there's the, in, there's an interim national defense strategy being put out by the Biden administration, which essentially repeats that same thing, but really establishes that the U.S. also must, in, in fighting Russia and China, must establish itself as the lead, reestablish itself as the leader of the free world and not be isolationist. And really, it puts NATO at the center of that. Um, and then, of course, it talks about technology and biotech, biotech and 5G and artificial intelligence, and blah, 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 as the... In, the technologies that will decide who will win the wars of the future kind of thing. Um, so in one, in one case, I, I do actually though still believe that U S is a, is a, is an empire in decline. Um, and that it's possible that Russia also feels that and is attempting to put pressure and it's trying to build and create cracks in the plan they have to re to rebuild their their European NATO alliance, um, but the other thing that this still comes up for me is like the entire news cycle was dominated by Omicron and vaccines and mandates and everything, and that has got, that has just been taken off the table, and and I I don't there's a reason for that like they still plan on using the mandates and the virus as a means of social control. So something, I don't know. I just get the sense that they were, they were worried that this Omicron thing was unraveling or that it just wasn't holding together. Um, and in terms of like cases and who was getting sick and who was getting hospitalized and blah, 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 and what it might've made their vaccines look like. I don't know. That's the kind of stuff that stuff I start to think about in terms of as much for being able to locally change the subject um, 
that's some of the things I think about when I see this, this stuff being drummed up. Um, but again, I, I'm, I'm confused by these events right now, to be, to be honest. I mean, in one sense, you know, like, if you, leave, if you believe this binary of, you know, um, you know, like liberals, leftists are more like, you know, humanitarian, you know, socialistic. If you believe that, you know, like you could argue that on the right wing, you know, there's more nationalistic and like, this might be an attempt to uh, bring those people into the fold, into the grace of the state, you know, because like uh, the people that are believe America should be, you know, a leader in the world, you know, in uh, Americans military and the flag waving and all that. I think uh, that there can be an argument to be made on that sense, you know, of you're just bringing people back into the fold. And then, you know, because you have on the left, you know, leftists and liberals, like all about vaccines, and submission of the population in that sense. And, 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 but there's a lot of resistance on the right, you know, of, you know in, in, in questioning the state really. And the only big unifier for them is like coming, rallying behind the flag, you know, and like, I think that's something interesting that I, I can see, but also not only is it like convenient to, there's also an environmental aspect to this because, you know, putting pressure on Russia and remember that the North is opening up, you know, there's that the Arctic, right, at the North. And, you know, there's going to be, there's huge oil reserves. There's been strategic moves up there. NATO is involved in that, you know, a lot of countries in Russia has a big, you know, um, like decent operations up there too, you know, and in, in trying to control those passageways too for training of the future uh, because it's, it's trade, it's oil, you know, it's it's big uh, movers of the international economy, and so you know, putting pressure on Russia is, it has so many uh, angles. You know, that are beneficial to the U.S. and NATO allies, uh, and so I, 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 so for me at least, is the argument is like this move is way more beneficial to NATO and the U.S. than it is to Russians. You know, and I do think Russians are on their heels in so many ways. And the, 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 the political football here is Ukraine. You know, Ukraine doesn't get a say. Ukrainians don't. Uh, and just as, you know, I guess their only say is to see which side they're going to pick, you know, and, and whose side might come after them. Uh, but I, I just look at all the angles and who is benefiting the most from this narrative. And even if I, I think it's not... Um, in actual, you know, military action, like it just has so many benefits for from pushing for the, for the U.S. Really, yeah. I'm. I don't even. I mean, Ukraine hasn't had a say ever since 2014 or 15, whenever the coup was. I think too, just like since you bring up oil, um, I mean, that's one major reason why Germany is not on board, right? Is because they have uh pipeline they have the Nord Stream pipeline with Russia um and then interestingly I do believe Ukraine is pretty much oil dependent on Russia which is an interesting you know dynamic when you think about if this does escalate um where is I going to go with this oh so with with regard to like the nationalism thing I you know you look back at I mean pretty much since 
well, even before, like during Trump's administration and then definitely since Biden, like we've seen in the States, all of these like neocon right wingers be totally rehabilitated. And suddenly you have like Democrats uh, defending, you know, like Blinken and Samantha Powers and uh, fucking Bush. I mean, insane, insane stuff. And I think, yeah, you're, you're spot on, Kenny, I think in terms of trying to like appeal to this patriotic, um, you know, uh, sentiment among Democrats. Uh, and it pairs really nicely, right. With the whole sort of COVID, like, uh, we have to fight domestic extremists, um, get your booster, right. That's like the patriotic thing to do, you know, um, U.S. is the, is the best country in the world, um, and we're going to go out and we're going to try to fight to distribute these vaccines all over Africa and all over the global south. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's like post 9-11 all over again, except it's the Democrats preaching this stuff. Go ahead, Kenny. Well, go ahead, Kenny. And then that, just that thought scares the hell out of me. You know, the idea of uniting, you know, like the pro-vaccine, you know, pro-like people uh, ideology and, you know, the pro-patriot, pro, you know, national security, you know, state, uh, you know, and they bundling those up in, 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 in some narrative that will make the state, you know, um, not be questioned, you know, uh, be bulletproof. So I, I don't know. That's, I think that, that, I, that, 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 uh, the potential of that does scare me, you know, if these narratives are bundled up and, and uh, you cannot question, uh, you know, any angle. I personally, I, I don't, I don't think that that kind of thing is in play because I don't, well, at least in terms of the U S population, I don't think there's much, um, um, appetite on the right for this sort of intervention and this sort of ac action on the part of the United States. I don't think, People on the right are like, oh, yeah, finally, we get the flag, the U.S. flag flying in Ukraine, you know, th things of that sort. I, I personally, don't, I actually think there's more of a isolationist. We don't even need NATO. It's the kind of thing that Trump appealed to um, when he was being Trump, um, as opposed to the pro-vaccine person he is now. So I personally don't think that that's what's going on. Um, uh, do, you, do you know that yesterday Biden withdrew? his mandate or his call for the employers to, you know, the employers over a hundred to do, to, 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 to force the vaccine on them. Do you know he withdrew that yesterday? Well, he's getting thrashed in the courts. I know, but like, Which, that, like why does he think, I mean, it's the Supreme court is like straight Republicans. I don't know why. why like. Well, I guess what I'm saying is, is that, it's it's interesting to me that he was able to withdraw that under the cover of a of a different kind of crisis, mm -hmm. and it, what it allows them to do is because now you still have all these federal employees who are subject to these mandates, but he's in, withdrawing it. There's this giant noise about the Ukraine. He withdraws it under that noise, and you know it's like to me it, it, it's just very interesting um, that these kinds of things are being done and and under what what moves are being made while, while a bunch of words are being thrown at us on the screen. 
I do agree that, um, you know, like this not lose our focus from this whole vaccine, you know, fourth industrial revolution uh, stuff, because I, I do think this is a sort of like a, a receding wave, right? You, you've also talked about these happening in waves, Lipson, right? Like uh, the push for this new world order, the new uh, systems of global governance, surveillance, tracking. And so I, I do, obviously there is a pause. I, I don't, I'm still on guard that that's still gonna continue in, in some way. And so, yes, absolutely, you know, like, uh, you know, this can be used in that way. And, you know, it makes me think about like what other ways could they use to push, right? If, if there is a sort of like a, some sort of exhaustion from the mandates, from that tactic, that technique, you know, uh, because we will, you know, face uh, more waves of, you know, this call, you know, this paranoia, this psychosis, you know, being pushed on us. And, uh, you know, uh, you can't just rely on simply, let's call it fascistic moves, impositions, dictations on people, you know, because you will find resistance, you know, in growing resistance. And for example, I know personally that the resistance to boosters is massive, like not massive, but like significant enough around me. You know, like I have a lot more people that were willing to stand up and say, no, I won't get the booster, you know, and so, Yes, the vaccine has been used as a vehicle to enact the systems of surveillance and tracking and passports, because it's not even about just the vaccine itself, you know, like it's about the, the technologies, right? And so then, you know, makes me wonder, are we then, oh, look, like you don't have to get vaccinated, but it's important, it's important to track each other, to track people, you know, okay, the vaccines may not work, you know, like changing that narrative and and so yes, it's convenient to bring you know to bring to start doing these steps under the guise of another crisis, like you said, to not show weakness or like retraction on your part. You know, it's just that you know let it die out for a second and bring it back in a new uh, you know in a new form of attack. And so, but I, but I do think that is possible. In every all this is possible. You know, like it's not just one or the other is that it's just convenient, you know, to, to push Russia, to distract from this shit, to move the news cycle to, you know, somewhere else. So domestic shit can happen because I, I don't even know like what's been happening internationally, but I bet you as while we've been focused here, a lot of shit has happened internationally. Yeah. You know, so that didn't stop and no will stop the stuff that's happened domestically was, you know, yeah. that, that won't stop because international shit is stopping. It's just the focus, you know, like, the trick of look over here is being switched on us. You know, and it brings me back to that, what, you know, John Kleisig brought up, right? Like the whole monkey experiment. If you keep, you know, like monkeys, uh, give the, giving them contradictory, you know, information or, or inconsistent and like, they, they don't know what to expect, then they just submit. It's, it's hard to keep your eye on anything. You know, even like the whole Super Bowl thing, right? I don't know if you saw that they're gonna give all 60,000 Super Bowl attendees Eight N95s, right? And they're gonna implement all these things, and they're gonna display that to the world. I mean, the Super Bowl is the biggest display of American hegemony, you know, on the world. And you know, they're gonna push this mask that they previously told us that weren't good enough. You know, they, they weren't doing the job for you know COVID, but now they're being pushed. And 
you know, and so again, it just doesn't stop on either side. And, and so I guess I'm trying to figure out here, how these, do these things connect? Yeah. That's, this is the most obvious one, right? Like the distraction, the change of focus. Uh, but I'm trying to figure out if there is more than that. Mm-hmm. The, the, like, I don't know. This is another hypocrisy that I think about a lot just because I'm kind of in the environmental sphere. But <laughs> I mean, a football stadium full of N95s. I mean, the waste that that generates. And you've got Biden, right, going on and on about climate this and we have to electrify the grid. And this is, good, you know, supposedly after COVID, this is going to be the big, the next big thing, climate lockdowns and whatever. Um, that's going to be the next big emergency. Um, <laughs> and, and the Pentagon, as it has been for I don't know how long, is still the biggest carbon emitter. Right. So it's like, this is just another example of, of, yeah, just the, like the whiplash of like, you should be, there was an article this week that I read about heart attacks uh, because of climate change. You know, this idea that like, I don't know, I guess people are just so, so stressed over climate change that they're literally going to have a heart attack in their sleep. Um, But then if we need to send like, millions of dollars of, of weapons halfway across the world. It makes no sense. So yeah. And then with the sort of distraction thing, um, I mean, it's always a a contributing factor, I think with these wars, right. And then the election cycle, which is just so insanely rapid here but then like in the UK right because they're big a big part of this um like you were saying Kenny like it's not just the US um Johnson seems like you know just barely hanging on by a thread right now um and yeah I mean I I think even maybe even more than an alliance between China and Russia uh, what is the what is the U.S. empire more afraid of than anything? It's a true class struggle. And I think, I mean, I don't want to say it because <laughs> it's like, just feels like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell. But I mean, looking at the trucker, the truck, I know that's up in Canada, but, um, you know, I, I, I do think slowly a class struggle is beginning to take shape because of all these mandates and I mean it's almost the first time at least at this scale in decades that that's happened and that's their worst freaking nightmare um and it's not I mean I don't think like Putin is for the Russian working class but I think you know it we have to stay really focused um you know we shouldn't be blinded by just like COVID 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 but I think we ha- we have an opportunity, you know, that we've begun to to really pick up some steam, and I think we have to keep building working class solidarity, like however we however we can, like oppose politicians on both sides of the aisle, oppose nuclear power in all capacities, whether it's for war or for climate, uh, you know, uh, green technology, oppose the Great Reset. And just keep building solidarity and build our build our our own communities up, and just not not fall for this uh, propaganda. Um, well, I guess 
Kenny, were you going to say something? I just find it interesting that what um, Jessica said about class struggle and, you know, I don't know how much of it there is, but I mean, there is a potential, right? Like that, that, that it could happen <laughs> because, you know, people get fed up or, or but it, it's just in, interesting that international conflicts at this can be a very divisive thing for class struggles, right? Uh, in like in terms of where, who do you follow? How, you know, where do you fall in line here? You know, uh, I know historically, right, Lipson, like there's been that divide. At least some people were pro, like the World War. Some people were like participating and like supporting, you know, the state. You know, this were not, and and so that created divisions, and so you know like it's also like again this narrative is also convenient in that way you know it can be potentially and again this is just i'm just wondering so many things and that's why yeah. it's so hard to put a you know a finger on this but it does make sense you know and that's why like i i i keep going back to like why the hell it is very convenient to western powers who are driving this this covid narrative who are driving the vaccination you know, in, in global dominance systems onto the world stage, who will control the, the global systems of, you know, um, like vaccine passports and, you know, because the WHO is with them, the CDCs of the world are with them. And, you know, um, why is it's convenient to all of them, to the same people that are pushing this vaccine mad madness, it's convenient for them to push this war or this, like at least the perception of a threat of a war. Yeah, I mean, I will I will also say that, you know, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure what entirely is happening. So that this episode for me has been an attempt to make my best guess. Um, this question of struggle, is our ruling class right? I'm talking about the U.S. ruling class, not the Canadian ruling class. But is our U.S. ruling class worried about struggle? Well, in my opinion, if they are, I don't know if they're paying attention because the DC rally that everyone was saying, you know, I heard numbers of 30,000 and somebody said up to 50,000, the pictures to me look like five to 10,000, you know? Um, and we were out in a rally at, o at Oakland, which was fairly small. You know, I think the overall statements that I've heard from people, and again, California is in a, is in a bubble of crazy COVIDians, you know, and it's not across the country, but I, I don't get the sense of people uh, on the verge of a pushback. Uh, at least that, I'm just saying from my vantage point. Um, I do agree that the boosters are a tough sell um, and are tougher sell than the first set of shots. Um, so in, if, if one was to ask me what is happening right now, it feels more manufactured than actual real conflict between these powers. That's what I guess I would say, but we've had, you know, that that's just, that's my first bit on it. And we'll see because the people who are saying U S has to do something are pretty much saying Russia is going into the Ukraine. Like, and they're saying you better do something because they're going to be in the Ukraine in the next three to four weeks. Um, and I'm kind of thinking that that's not going to turn out. And part of it was like looking at some of those articles where, oh, they were massing their troops a year ago and da, 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 da. And like, this has been kind of going on for a while. And, and, and then, like I said, like the, the change in subject. Um, the one thing I didn't hear, I mean, this is kind of a different thing, but Jessica, when you brought up the, hey, uh, global warming is creating heart attacks, like 
I, it makes me think about the fact that they were saying, well, remember that young people get heart attacks too. Like it, apparently now, like the, the thing that's going to create all these heart attacks is everything but a vaccine, which creates, has symptoms of, or side effects of myocarditis. You know, so it's interesting to me that this whole theme of heart attacks coming from weird places is, is being pushed. Like I, I hadn't heard about the environmental issues and heart attacks as the stress of the environment creating more heart attacks. Um, that just seems like another interesting um, deception around what's obviously, to me at least, the, the, the impact of vaccines, this mass vaccination campaign. And I predict we're going to have waves of autoimmune disease. I mean, we already have crazy amounts, but kind of, I mean, we talked a little bit about this with Amanda last week. Uh, I think that's going to increase and that is be very easy to blame that on uh, climate issues. And it's also an opportunity for more medical intervention, uh, you know, more testing, more, um, you know, big fertility, right? Like everyone's going to be, well, not everyone, hopefully, but, you know, a lot of people are going to be sterile, whether it's from vaccines or whether, I mean, we are absolutely like surrounded by environmental toxins, a hundred percent. And I, I mean, I, the boosters, yeah, the boosters are a a tough sell, but do you know what's not a tough sell is at least what I'm seeing is testing. People are completely willing and are bending over backwards, at least where I am, which is not even, not even a, you know, liberal urban, uh, metropolis like people are are fine testing weekly testing every time they get a call that they've been exposed to somebody who's been exposed to somebody who's been exposed to somebody and that i mean that they've already gotten most of the people vaccinated who were going to be willing to submit um and i mean it's great biden's being struck down in the courts but i i'm not particularly reassured by that because I think a lot of the mandates are are really just, you know, they're coming from the states. Like the state legislation is is more important in terms of um, you know, what your employer can can mandate. Um, and so I don't I don't see a whole lot of relinquishing there. Like the healthcare workers, that's been upheld even at the national level. So I, I don't know. I don't feel I don't really feel like they're letting up maybe as as much as some people are saying. Um and and the the thing on the 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 DC march uh, march on Washington, I don't know. I wa- I watched some of it. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I, as much as I like, I know I've been preaching for like a year and a half. But like, yes, left and right, you know. I, like, I I was a little disappointed and just the. I mean, it was just so. There's so much rah rah rah, like patriotic. Uh, framing uh tons of religious framing which i mean some of it was fine like they had people from different religions which was great but um i mean some of like the more like headline speakers like i watched del big tree who was kind of like the big finale um just like screaming bible verses to the skies and i i mean i don't know maybe that is what is appealing to a good portion of the country but 
I just feel so much that what we really need to be expressing is just like international solidarity, you know, especially with the global South. And I just didn't, I didn't hear that. And I was, I was pretty disappointed, honestly, at a lot of, a lot of what I heard from the speakers that I did listen to. There were, there were some good ones. You know, it's funny that you kept saying testing and testing uh, because like, that's another angle and maybe this is <laughs> switching things up, but you know, uh, that um, I, I think also about, you know, these technologies, you know, uh, like war get tested in proxy wars, you know, or, you know, like uh, like biological weapons and things like that, you know, it's not gonna be the, the good, the savior of the world, the US that dis- deploys this. But I do wonder what this lethal loads that you know they're talking about giving to Ukraine, you know, and because I, I wonder, you know, we've been talking about this mRNA shit. We be, we also have talked about, um, you know, these N95s and releasing half of the supply for preparedness for an anthrax war, you know, was released and it's supposed to be sent to us, right? And so it just makes me wonder, like, I don't trust any of these maniacs, you know? And so I wonder like what, you know, maybe what if they are gonna test some, you know, maybe incite conflict between Ukraine and Russia and, and ha- see some of this shit played out, you know? And, and, and again, and, and in relation to, you know, mask in relation to, to mRNA technology, you know, that we don't even know. I mean, we, what we know is that a lot of technology, the, the mRNA technology came from DARPA, right? You know, and we've talked about like a lot of these technologies have a military use, you know, and, and they're in relation to creating super soldiers, you know, and perfect uh, war machines, you know, and, and, and this is also in the context of, like you said, the kind of power who understands that when the facade of propaganda falls, what is left is naked fucking violence, you know, that, that underwrites all this shit. And so, you know, it just makes me wonder again, you know, like how these things connect, like what things we might see over there we, that we don't get to see, like the technologies that get displayed because we, we have talked about the third world war, this, you know, and like and the world wars have been a full display of the, the latest technological, you know, uh, knowledge, right? Like, you know, gases in the first one, you know, and like bombs and airplanes, you know, and all this machinery in the second one. And what we have now is like, uh, you know, genetic modification, uh, you know, automated shit, you know, artificial intelligence. And so it just makes me wonder, that's why I get so uneasy, right? Like uh, about this, this conflict, it may, it may not pan out to anything, but, you know, considering the context that we're living, you know, yes, it can be simply a distraction, but I also wonder, is, is it a testbed for all this shit that, you know, we're talking about? You know, because Afghanistan is kind of receded from the picture and they've tested a shitload of technology in Afghani people, like to, to, to make them submit, you know, and so they need a new theater, you know, and, and so in, in, in like, they're not dumb. They don't want to go in a full scale war either because they know, like, you know, at that point it's like, you know, it will be highly destructive and disruptive. And yes, some people will make money, but. You know, like, I don't think, yes, they're fucking maniacs, but they also understand, you know, how shit can get out of hand, I would hope. But but that's what I wonder, like, are they, is this the new theater where new technologies are going to be tested? You know, um, and, and, uh, and that's why, you know, this whole drive to have N95s, 
And, and then maybe I'm, I'm diving into the conspirational shit, but that's our job to kind of wonder what the hell, right? Like, what, what the hell are they planning? And that's why this is so confusing. Yeah, for, for me, I would say the number one is if Russia does invade, then, then, I, then I would definitely was not right in terms of thinking that this was just a, uh, that this was just a distraction. That would be one indication that this was not. And, you know, um, if Russia doesn't invade, that doesn't make, make me right either. It's just, I definitely know that I, I am not anticipating some sort of incursion that then the U.S. has to do some sort of response and then has to work something out with NATO and Germany makes its own decision because I don't think Germany is going to go along with the U.S. What, what it does and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, that's just one thing I see. And I am tending to predict that there's just going to be a new story in March and April. Like, I don't know what that story is, but there's going to be a new story. And it's not going to be about Ukraine and it's not going to be about Omicron. Um, but it, but I do feel like it's going to be about COVID or the virus or something, you know, um, or a variant or something. Um, so that's something that I'm going to be paying attention to into the future. Uh, if the, because again, I, I do believe World War III is inevitable if capitalism stays. And I agree with Jessica that that our job, or at least oh, this is the way I would put what, this, what Jessica, what you were saying about what our job is here. Our job is to stop our government from going to war with anyone and to take the weapons out of their hands forever and empower people to arm themselves and run their own lives um, as an armed collective people in international solidarity with other people doing the same thing to their local, uh, you know, because that's what the Russian people have to do with Putin. And that's what the Chinese workers have to do with, how do you pronounce the guy's name? Yang Yi? Yang Xiping. Xiping, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But the, whoever's running uh, China, can never get the, I can't, don't know how to pronounce it. So, um, you know. Jinping, I think. Jinping. My partner speaks fluent Mandarin, and apparently my tones are off. But, they, I mean, he's going to be chilling with Putin at the Olympics. Right. Should be interesting. I mean, just diplomatically. You know what I saw today? Um, I think it was on Fox. Just because, like, you're talking, Andy, about, like, there's going to be something new, some new narrative or some new threat. Um, And a lot of people are predicting that it's going to be, like, cyber pandemic stuff, right? This year, anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw, um, okay... Let's see if I can find it. Um, okay, the Department but of... If Lincoln. I could say something about just keep, yeah. go on. Actually, people were predicting that there was going to be a big thing last year, cyber, cyber polygon yeah. and things like that. So, that I mean, there's been cyber shit that's gone down, but the, the scale on which I was heard it was going to happen never materialized last year. But sorry, go ahead. No, that's fine. Yeah, it's on the same note. So um, the Department of Homeland Security is just from... I think the last couple of days is warning of an imminent cyber threat against American companies and government agencies uh, because Russia may soon launch attacks against critical U.S. infrastructure and national security source told Fox News. So, I mean, it's like, make up your mind. Like, are, are the Russians about to like invade with physical troops? Are they launching a cyber attack? I, I mean, it just seems to me like more evidence that this is just, they're just throwing like, you know, whatever stories they can and seeing what sticks. Um, Yeah. Uh, I don't think we should leave uh, this conversation before we touch on the 
Ukrainian neo-Nazis that the U.S. has been training. So I don't know. It's now a good time to touch on that. Go ahead. Okay. I'm, I'm going to pull up. I don't know if you guys saw this. The um, I mean, Yahoo News. Who would think it would be them? But they um, they had a report. Oh, can I share my screen? Don't judge the number of tabs I have open. Um, so... <laughs> I just think this is really, I mean, this is just really important. So this see, and it's just, this was just um, put out this week. The CIA is overseeing a secret intensive training program um, in the U S for elite Ukrainian special ops forces and other intelligence personnel. So this has been going on since the coup um, established by the Obama administration. And then it was expanded under Trump. And now even more so under Biden. So as usual, right, it's as bipartisan, right, war and intelligence ops, like they're always bipartisan. Um, U.S. officials deny that the CIA training program is or ever was offensively oriented. The purpose of the training and the training that was delivered was to assist in the collection of intelligence, right? Um, this is despite the, I think it's like 14,000 Ukrainians have been killed uh, since the coup. I mean, they've basically been in, in civil war. Um, and so, and I was reading a little bit more about, you know, like who are these pal um, paramilitaries? And this is, this is from Mint Press. Um, so this is one of the sort of significant um, paramilitary groups, which is basically like embedded in their government at this point. Um, and they're called the Azov Battalion. Um, so their ability to provide training to U.S. white supremacy groups is a testament to the group's prominence in far-right and neo-Nazi circles. Um, but the group's prominence is a direct result of U.S. government policy toward Ukraine. Originally a paramilitary group of right-wing Ukrainian nationalists linked to the country's social, nas social national party, Azov Battalion, has since become incorporated into Ukraine's interior ministry as a component of the country's National Guard. In addition, the group's founder, Andrei Belitsky, is currently a member of Ukraine's parliament. Belitsky once said that, quote, the historic mission of our nation in this critical moment is to lead the white races of the world in a final crusade for their survival, end quote. Despite the merging of Azov Battalion with the Ukrainian government, the U.S. has long supported, uh, continued to support Ukraine's military with hundreds of millions of dollars in security, programmatic, and technical assistance, all defensive, of course, largely in the name of combating Russian aggression. Um, so I just, I mean... <laughs> It, the irony, right, where you have, you literally have the U.S. government calling, uh, you know, U.S. citizens who are opposed to mandates, uh, terrorists, domestic terrorists and extremists, anybody who voted for Trump is a white supremacist. Meanwhile, right. we're literally funding and training like actual Nazis. It's just great. It's crazy. And I just like, I just want my student loans paid off. Like, <laughs> really? Like, really? You have people like evicted from their fucking homes, you know, drinking water in Flint, right? I mean, yeah, it's just so insulting. I do agree that it's complete hypocrisy for them to be like talking about how the January 6th 
and having to defend themselves from the a new Nazi wave in the United States, which I think is fraudulent as in terms of the actual threat we're facing. I think the threat, the biggest threat to U.S. to U.S. workers is the U.S. state, uh, you know, bar none. Um, but I do think you point to complete hypocrisy that they might at the same time support those sorts of forces. Um, I will say that, I mean, the U.S. history of supporting really dangerous, aggressive paramilitary forces across the globe. I mean, there, I don't think anybody has a better record of doing oh, that. Yeah, like name a country. I mean, yeah. Cuba, Afghanistan. I mean, literally just like, pick yeah. a country. I mean, and the whole school of Americas, which was basically training people to, to do torture and to do local control of its own citizenry using the most horrible torture tactics. Um, I mean, that's just the U.S. playbook. I mean, they've uh, they experimented and perfected that in Central America. You know, like uh, removing powers, you know, uh, governments, installing new governments, installing dict dictators, supporting dictators, financing terrorism, torture techniques. You know, all these uh, what they were calling on these like uh, little loads. You know, like bombs and and. They literally injected people with like syphilis in Guatemala, you know, my, the country, my country of birth. And so they are definitely, you know, not beyond that. Like in the CIA itself, we know it's like the, the like the, what is it? The criminal branch of the, of the mob, you know, like of the more criminal branch. They, they, they'll do what they have to do, you know, light cheat or, or steal. Uh, you know, there's people who have talked about it. Uh, what was that? Did Pompeo talked about it at a, at a, at a, at a, yeah, you know, he, he, he celebrated that, you know, you, you know, they, they write, they, they write a handbook, whatever. I think that's part of it. Lying, cheating and stealing. They're unapologetic about it. We know about this. And if you don't know this, then you don't know history, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and so, but, um, you know, that, that is a fact that's, they, they do that in anywhere the U S has an interest. You know, uh, they they support people. They they often to uh, contribute to both sides, so they can pick their hand when they need it. You know, they're always in in the mood. They're always orchestrating things. Um, but to kind of bring it back to Lipson's point, it's like these things will happen and will continue to happen as long as we don't realize that you know an empire goes to war to the degree that they control the domestic population. And, and that's what's scary about this. I don't know if that this, this moment will materialize in the world, the Ukraine moment. But what I do know is that the U.S. population is under a high degree of submission. We are on our goddamn knees. You yeah. know, they are literally robbing the house. They are changing the locks. They are installing cameras. You know, they are in there, you know, and they're making us believe that we need them. Yeah. And, and so... And so again, our job is not to necessarily, uh, you know, have a judgment or like China, Russia, you know, it's an international system, it's capitalism, they're all in competition, all the ruling class of the world are mobsters, you know, and, and they have to be, the US is the biggest mobster there is, and so long as we're not fighting our own ruling class, we're not, not only not helping ourselves, but we're not helping anywhere else, anybody else anywhere in the world. You know, so our job is to raise hell here so that our, our, our government doesn't go and, and do things somewhere else. 
you know, because they are emboldened when they have, they don't have to worry about us. And, and they have absolutely done a, a you know, an, an amazing head, you know, fixing job on us, you know, and, and, and you know, and, you know, and like, we just submitted and we don't, and that's the magic of all this, you know, COVID, you know, psychosis that we don't know what's up from down anymore, you know, and like, and so most people are just deflated and just letting shit happen, you know, shit, hap- shit that's against their own self-interest, you know, and, and again, like that, this is the call, at least from my point of view, is like that we need to realize that we, you know, when they sell us uh, evil China, evil Russia, they're just trying to distract us, you know, even if shit happens, you know, they're trying to distract us from, like you said, fucking forcing their hand to get rid of loans, you know, uh, like uh, student loans from fucking healthcare, right? Like that is the biggest scam there is. And, and, and fundamentally me as a socialist, capitalism is the biggest robbery there is. And, and the, all the lies and the coercion we're subjected to, you know, that's the shit that we need to fight here locally with people that we know, you know, and, 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 and you know, if you really pretend to, you know, care about our comrades or our, you know, fellow workers in other parts of the world because we won't stop them with slogans we won't stop them with you know we just like uh, pose we, we will stop them by raising hell here having them worry about their working class here i mean why don't we build some fucking hospitals with all this money on arms right like we're in a pandemic uh i keep hearing that the hospitals are still overloaded right i mean medical debt's the number one um type of debt in this country it's criminal it's criminal and yeah i just i i agree though kenny like we're so domesticated and i just don't i don't know how to get more people to oh wait like wake up i hate that phrase <laughs> wake up and just and and start to cut i mean it's hard it's hard to like cut ties from a system that you're so dependent on um like whether it's the technology or your health insurance being tied to your employment right so you have you have to do what they say you have to do what they say because how else are you gonna survive how else are you gonna feed your kids um i mean it's it's it is encouraging like seeing some of some of the solidarity that we've been able to build over the past two years but we really got to pick it up i think pick up the pace well, I would agree with, I, I think Jessica, I, I'm glad you brought up this, the, the degree to which people are saying, oh, let's get tested. Like, just as a reminder, like, those are, those are indications of how deep our class is in, in, in a, um, in the hold, in the hold of, a, of another story that's keeping us trapped in the way that Kenny's describing surveillance schemas being put in our homes and things like that. So that's the current, I do think that's the current reality. Um, but I, I also would say that like this conversation itself, which we said beforehand was going to be kind of a, you know, an attempt to try to make sense out of a confusing sort of thing that's going on. There's definitely a story out there, but to make sense of what exactly is happening is confusing. So I think I feel myself subject to getting my head spun around by things um, and being confused by what to keep my eye on. Um, so 
I wouldn't be surprised if other people are that way. Um, but I would just say that, you know, for me, having this place to come back to, to try to like see what I think's going on and get my bearings again, these are the things that I think people would, will need to do in their own locales um, and try to figure out what they can do to, to form their own local resistance. Um, and there's Jasmine. There's Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just, um, I mean, that's, I guess that's what I would just say is uh, I think it, this is confusing for a lot of, a lot of people. And I find it confusing for myself to make sense of things, but that should not stop a person like where it didn't stop us from reading a few articles and taking a moment to just say, okay, folks, what's going on? I guess that's it then. We'll be back next week. We will be. Yeah. <laughs> so that does it for this week's episode. What's left is a weekly political podcast channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics, our guests on the episode notes, wherever you found this episode or on our blog, uh, what-s-left.webnode.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast channel there and connect with us. Um, I remind folks, if you like anything you heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our nine platforms, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Telegram, and Rumble. If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Um, well, Jessica, thanks again. Kenny, thanks again. And uh, we'll be here next week. We'll see if Jake joins us. And eventually, Eduardo's got to come back. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.